What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. Greg Hellbeck and Michael Pinter, welcome back to New York Real Estate Investing. So today we're going to talk about probably the most popular rental property strategy, strategy in the, on the face of the earth invented by Brandon Turner probably five years ago. I remember hearing him call the Burr. I didn't know what it was what it was about. And basically, we're going to give everyone on this podcast a, a, a blueprint on how to do this in the, the expensive area of New York, not, not upstate New York, because that's like the Midwest. If you're living south of Ulster County, uh, either in New York City, the Hudson Valley, or Long Island, this is it's a little bit different because this is not more, uh, more difficult for sure. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, it's not like you know you're in Rochester or Buffalo where you're buying houses for thirty grand. So, uh, Michael, if people are not familiar with the Burr strategy, what what is the Burr strategy? So we could kind of tell everyone about what it is and then how it's different in New York because there's a lot of shit you need to know if you're going to be doing this. This is complicated. Burr stands for buy, renovate, rent. Did I miss one? And refinance. Refinance and repeat. repeat. That's what it is. So you, you're buying a property with the end goal to renovate it, but to get all your money out. So that's an important part of it. Like I see people come to me all the time. They go, well, I have this great uh, uh, rental property and I could buy it for $20,000 less than... Uh, you know, it's worth 400. I can buy it for 380. And I'm like, it's not a good, good deal because your money's going to get stuck in there forever. If you don't mind sticking your money in there forever, that's fine. But that's not the burst strategy. Burst strategy is something you can do multiple times. The idea is that you have to buy something at enough of a discount. So usually it's 30 to 40% discount over what it's going to be worth so that after you renovate it and you rent it and put a tenant in there, you can then take out a standard Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac kind of loan for starters. Um, and they're only going to give you somewhere between 65 and 75% on that loan. So it has to appraise for significantly more than you bought it at so that what you put all the money you put into it will come out to between 65 and 75% of that amount. So you can get all your money out. The idea of, of the repeat and being able to refinance repeat is that if I, if you, let's say have $25,000 put into this $35,000, whatever the number is, if you put it into a rental property, your money's sitting there forever and you can't re refinance, you can't do another one. The beauty of the Burr strategy is that you're buying at enough of a discount so that you can refinance, get your money out and do it again if you find a good deal. The thing with that is, and then you explained that perfectly, here's the, the number, like I'm a big fan of the 80-20 rule. I'm reading the book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing for like the 19th time now. By the way, Michael, you got to read that book if you haven't it's read it. Very Marshall, I have it. Very Marshall, oh my God. That, that's the best sales book I've ever read because it just gets right to the truth. I'm reading his AdWords, Perry Marshall's AdWords book. <laughs> I have that one too. It's like a textbook. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, there's the, the 20. Oh, you probably got it right there. It's probably sitting there right in your office. Somewhere. Okay. Ah, it's, in your, it's probably in your closet with dust on it. That's funny. 
the biggest thing with the burr I've, I've came to realize after doing it now, the number one thing that matters is if, can you buy a property at a discount? If you can't buy the property at a discount, nothing, it will not work. That's the, the biggest thing I found is if, if you have to get, uh, if you have to overpay for a property, you're, 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 you're not going to, it's not going to be successful and you're going to sell the property. Even pay full price. Like it's not, that's not, that is not a plan. No. That makes sense. I mean, and people come to me all the time and say, well, you know, I'll be cash flow positive for $200. I'm like, okay, but for, you're, you're putting in 50 grand or 80 grand for $200. It doesn't make sense. You're, you could do better with that money doing other things. You have to buy at a significant discount. You're hundred percent right. You have to, because you can't, I remember when I, when I heard about this, it was very intriguing to me because at the time I made a lot of money flipping and wholesaling. And I'm like, well, yeah, I have big tax bills and this is transactional and everyone's got to move to rental. Yeah. It's the same bullshit. It's like the hero's journey. And I'm like, I got to graduate. So I buy a burr book. I read this thing cover to cover and I'm like, okay, this makes sense. And then I started like making offers and, and like, you know, looking at deals and I have, I've done this before. So it's, I've completed them, but the biggest problem I ran into was that, well, I could get deals at a discount basically at will, but that we've done dozens of shows on that. But the biggest problem besides that, so I said, step number one is you need to get a deal at a discount. If it's not at least minimum 70 cents on the dollar, throw it away or flip it. The biggest thing I saw, and I still do this every week, is in New York state, at least where I live and where you live, the freaking tax, there's the operating expenses when you add debt service. Key there is when you add debt service, because the whole refinance is how you can scale. When you add the, the, expen the, op the straight up hard operating expenses, plus the debt service, and then you compare it to what it's going to rent for. And I found too, if you're going to rent a property out at like a premium, usually those tenants are a little me because they're like overpaying because they probably can't find anywhere else. I've not found the numbers to make sense on about nine out of 10 deals. So I, I still keep rentals, but nine out of, one out of 10 I'll keep because it's just, it's the numbers don't make sense. So I don't know what, how yeah. we can fix that, but what do you, what do you do? Because Long Island is basically the same thing too. You guys are getting smoked too. And Nassau is nuts. Explain it. Couple of things. So first of all, before I even get into the whole, most single families don't care are not cash flow. They do not cash flow at all. The reason why so many people who do what we do end up with a rental portfolio is because we know how, if we know how to buy at a discount, then rentals can make sense in a lot of parts of the country, right? So in Texas and Phoenix and these areas where where you're buying property for a hundred grand, um, yeah, it's gonna be fifteen hundred, and the taxes are a thousand. You know, oh they, can, they can be cash flow positive. Yeah. And if you can buy, keep buying things at a discount, which is what, which is really what we do to flip, then a lot of them are going to make sense to hold. Um, but in our areas, the problems are twofold. First of all, the property taxes are exorbitant, right? It's very Dude. rare. I buy a property where I don't have a thousand dollars a month in taxes. And sometimes I have two thousand. Usually it's more. Yeah. And the second is because the numbers are so high, we're buying properties at three, four, five hundred thousand dollars The debt service is so high. That they're just not cash flow positive. So there are a few pockets of areas. You, you, there are some areas by you, like like you said, Ulster and other places where you can buy a, a deal, you know, for a hundred grand, hundred fifty grand. Yeah. And one of the places by me, like Wyandanch and uh, Mastic and Mastic Beach. But they, the values have gone up so much that it's very yeah. hard to find something that you can. It's it, I mean, it happens occasionally, but it's rare to even find something there today that can cash flow positive. Now, there was a time five, six, seven years ago when you could buy things there for hundred grand all day. But the area was really rough and to keep this, to, you know, and the people, other people, when they look back and they go, oh, why didn't you just buy all this stuff here? Like it was all great. 
you know, like the, we don't buy things to to wait for a a, a seismic shift in the in the market, right? We it's impossible to know that's going to happen. You know, people think a real estate investor he buys a property, sits on it, you know, doesn't do anything to it, doesn't cost him anything, and then ten years later, it's worth a million dollars more. Then he's a billionaire. Yeah, that's not how it works, right? For yeah. owning any property is going to require money and time, and maintaining a property is is costly. And I don't buy properties. I don't buy I don't buy properties to think. I don't no. buy properties. To no one's trying to talk. <laughs> maybe the market's going to shift later. So it's hard. It's very hard in anywhere around New York City to find a single family. Now it does work on multifamily sometimes. So that is something where you know I I, I I'm looking to buy a four family in in, in Long Beach and I'm still trying to get it. But um, you know if it's four units, then it, things can can make sense. It's just harder for a single family. Very very hard in our area. In a lot of parts of the country, though, if a guy tries to flip and it doesn't work, he just says, oh, I'll just turn it into a rental because I'm going to be cash flow positive. And that's fine. It's just not an option that you or I have most of, most of the time. It doesn't work in California really either. And in, in San Diego, it does not work. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Like a million dollars for a house. Well, what, the debt service is going to be $6,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Caroline, how you doing? Uh, sorry. You're on the podcast. Was that <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Caroline. <laughs> oh, you're doing a workout. I thought you were running. Oh, it's all good. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, California. Your office also the gym. It is the gym. I have an office gym. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the biggest, so, so you, you made a good point there. And this is where I have found there, there it's almost like a sliding scale. And this is where uh, I've found you, you can totally, I bet you, you're going to agree with me here. So single family houses are easier to find at a discount, but they're harder to cash flow. Multifamilies are harder to find at a discount, but they're easier to cash flow. So it's like this seesaw, right? This is in New York. This is not in, you know, in, you know, Tabathana, Pennsylvania. I, you know, I, think that statement, I think that statement is true in general, almost anywhere. Anywhere. Is, yeah. It's hard to find multis at a discount. It's very, because these people know what they got. They're not stupid. Or, you know, it's weird. You'll find multifamily sometimes that are being completely mismanaged and terrible. Yeah. But the person still take got like three rental incomes coming from it, even if, that, if that's 40% of what they should have. And they're just lazy. And they look at it as, this, you know, they bought it for nothing or they own it free and clear. And they look yeah. at it as making income. So I might as well stick with it. It's different when you own a single family and it's, and it's vacant. I agree with you 100%. So I actually found a multifamily at a discount. I'm, I'm selling it right now. So I, I was attempted. So I'm going to talk about a burg on bad. <laughs> a burg on bad. So, and then we'll, so in the middle of our podcast, I'll insert the story and then we'll use the lessons to continue the podcast. So long story short, I found a multifamily at a discount and I really got it at a great discount. I got appraised for 400 as is, 450 fully, like if it was fully optimized. I closed on it for 265 and I'm thinking like, holy shit, I am going to be a billionaire. It's just no brainer. No brainer. So meanwhile, I did, made about a million mistakes, which will take two podcasts to do that. So I made a bunch of mistakes. We'll leave it there. And the, the only real challenge that I saw with the property was that there was three apartments that I have that are rentals. And then the other unit is a, is a store. So it's like a storefront. But the only big, big, big problem is that it's not in an area where people want to rent a damn store. It's in the middle of the woods. Like teeth are optional in this area. Like there's like rednecks walking down the road with shot. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's not like you're, you're in like downtown, uh, whatever, Hudson Valley. This is in the middle of nowhere. Not a lot of, not a lot of street traffic. 
It, well, it's like, yeah, it's at this intersection and there's like diesel trucks blowing by here. It's like this whole thing. So anyway, so I, I, I buy the property and I, what I should have done, knowing what I know now, I could have wholesaled this thing for 50 grand easily. In two minutes, I could wholesale this. Someone else would love to take it off my hands at whatever, 305 or whatever it was. So anyway, I buy it, take it out, take it down. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, I, my goal is to burn this property. So I got hard money. I got 12 months to figure it out. If I don't get a tenant in this commercial space, this deal is going to be useless and I'm going to sell it. Because if I can't get this guy rented out for whatever, it's not going to cash flow because it's, it's, there's the taxes are really, really high because it's a bigger unit. And there's a lot of other operating expenses because it has a septic and there's a service company that has to service that. And there's a it's just all this bullshit. So anyway, I, I, I try to find a tenant. I hired a realtor to find a tenant for the store. And there was absolutely zero traction after like, eight weeks, I'm like, okay, if there's no interest after eight weeks at the price we put it out, this is not a freaking, this is not something worth keeping. So I put it on the market, overpriced it, didn't sell it. And now I filled it up with tenants and I priced it much lower. I'm in contract to sell it now, which is great. And that's going to work out hopefully. But the big point I'm trying to make here is that if you're going to do a burr, right? This is a little different because it's a mixed use. Uh, if it's a mixed use kind of scenario, you really have to have an exit. You have to have a solid exit with a lender because I know, I knew for a fact, if I got that one space rented and then the rest of the apartments were rented, I could easily refinance thing and get literally all my money out and it would make $1,000 a month. And that's totally worth keeping because I have no skin in the game. Even if I had to keep 10, 15 grand in, it makes sense. But if you buy a deal that's too thin or the rental, if the rental income is not justifying that debt service, a lender is not even going to loan on it, first of all. So then you think you have two exits, you have one exit, which is sell the property or else you're screwed. So you really have to do your homework and you have to understand, especially if you have multi-units, this is where I've learned this the hard way. With a single family house, if there's a problem, the other tenants aren't going to call your other tenants in the other single family houses and say, hey, is your furnace broken? Hey, is your roof leaking? Because they don't know each other. They don't know they exist. But with a multifamily, I found this, when there's a problem, usually tenant A goes down to tenant B and then tenant B and tenant A team up on the landlord. And then it's like, it's kind of like you're, you're like, you're, you're, you're in this weird situation. So I've found that the apartment business is a little bit different than the house business in terms of the management. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Cause it, it, it's just a big learning curve for a lot of investors. A couple of things. First of all, are, are, what are you in contract sell for? 400. I'm going to make, I'm going to lose a little bit of money, but not, not a lot. Okay. Um, so you're in a situation where this is because it's a commercial space, the lender is Correct. really looking at the income. Now, if oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. If it's the four family and there were comps for it, the lender really wouldn't care if they were all occupied because it would be based on comparable sales. So it makes it easier on a one to four family as opposed to anything with Correct. three. That's, it's more complicated, right? Because the lender is going to look at it and say, if you're vacant and you oh, okay. bought it, it's, you know, the net operating income is less. So I think when you burn these oh, things, yeah. It's more important to look at like like the rental income isn't even that isn't well obviously the rental income has to cover all your costs right usually that's going to be pity which is going to be everything uh -huh. lender um and you have to be cash flow positive enough there was recently a, a post on on the on investor field where somebody was saying like what at what point do i keep a rental what time do i sell it so i i, I told her i said listen you got to pick a number where you feel ca cash flow positive makes sense and if the if it meets those guidelines then you can keep it right if it doesn't then then don't and I think that's important. I, I see people in our in, in investor field group also who buy properties and if it's like a hundred dollar cash flow positive, they're okay with it. I'm like, that is not a smart move. You're one 
one boiler breaking or one roof leaking away from it being cash flow negative for three years. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's yeah. important that you sort of pick a number. And so people ask me about rent, rental properties a lot. And, and, and while I don't always get into the burn method, I tell them two things. I say, first of all, you have to buy it at enough of a discount that you can refinance to get all your money out. So that's basically the burn method. I said, and B, you got to be significantly cash flow positive, like not like a hundred bucks or 50 bucks. Wow. I said, because you need to, you need to have a significant amount of cash flow coming in so that when, not if, but when something costs money, you have the money for it and you don't feel like a schmuck because now, you know, you need a new refrigerator for a thousand dollars and therefore you're not cash flow positive anymore. So that that's, that's really important. And I'm glad that you're finally uh, losing some money. Like, uh, like people like me, because uh, they say you're not a real investor until you, st- until you lost money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't I'm planning happy, I'm happy you're losing money, but it's, it's, it's a good experience. It's a learning it's a experience. Good experience. It's humbling. I mean, I, I lost a little bit of money in California, but that was like peanuts. Was $2,000 on that piece of land. Give me a break. Yeah, but that was just, but here's a, here's a trend though. This is interesting how, how we're talking about this now. We're going down this rabbit hole. Every time so far, knock on wood, I either lost money or am going to lose money. It's because I bought a property that I fundamentally had no fucking clue what it was about. No clue. I bought this property. I, I didn't know the difference between this deal and a fucking hole in the wall. And I'm just thinking it's a good deal. Same thing with the land. I'm like, oh, seller financing land on the middle of a mountain next to a mountain line must make sense. No. So, so here's a big lesson for people. If you want to do the birth strategy, you need to know what you are doing and you need to study the rental, how to run a rental business, especially with the, when it comes to the acquisition, the acquisition is, is going to make all the difference for you. Listen, getting a tenant's important. We're going to cover that today, how to get a good tenant. Michael knows more about this than I do, but that today? I mean, that's part of the burr. I mean, that we oh, were talking about the, the acquisition is if you can get the, 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 the buy dialed in, you're going to, the rest of the work is going to be a lot easier. So when it comes to the second part of the equation, which is getting the right tenant, this is because this in New York is, this is do or die. If you do this wrong, forget it. You might as well start digging the grave and jumping in because you're, you're not going to have a good time. I have bad tenants. I'm doing evictions right now. Michael has bad tenants. Michael's doing evictions right now. It's so energy draining. I I don't even want to get into it. It's just going to make my hair turn gray. So, Michael, how on earth do you get a good tenant? Because you have done this much more than I have. Okay. So what I have found in my experience. What's your system? Yeah. Is that A, Craigslist is a great, great way. Craigslist? To Not Facebook? Most people are looking on Craigslist. That's number one <laughs> in my area. And the key, the key, and the New York State changes law, and this screwed me up a little bit. The key uh, to me well, is always to ask for three months up front. So I wanted two months security and first month's rent. And that eliminated 90% of the, of the losers. Um, but they made it illegal to charge two months security in the state of New York about two years ago. So you I give the money back, right? You give the money back when they, when they get out. When they leave, if yeah. they leave, if they leave it in good shape, but that, but you're not allowed yeah. to charge. So now I, so I think what I'm doing is legal and I charge one month security, but I want first month and last month's rent. That's that's cool, but that that that's that's their credit though. So on the lease basis, the, the idea is that if someone can get together with three months rent, they're almost always going to be better tenants than people who can't. They're savers, and um, I since I've been doing that, I've had a lot fewer. I, I have a lot of evictions now, but let me explain. Those are all properties where I bought the property with the problem. Yes, tenants. same here. Same so here. They're not, they're yep. not from my tenants. They're from people who I inherited. Um, Same. I had almost no evictions using that method. 
Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, that was my speaker starting off. But um, the I think it's a big deal. And, and I have a rule, and I, this is from experience. If the tenant, if the prospective tenant mentions anything, I mean, one word about the three months, I'm talking about literally if they say, let's say it's $2,000 a month and I want $6,000. They go, I have $5,999. I'll give you $1 tomorrow. Um, I take their application and I put it in the shredder. Anybody, anybody who ever, anybody who ever talked about the initial three months, I ended up evicting. I, I don't know, maybe it was just my luck, but I remember I had one guy who, who brought me cash and he was going to pay me eviction, any, anything. So that's my rule. I don't tell it to people. But um, if I if you're coming to rent from me and you don't have the three months and you even talk about it, can, oh, can can we work it out? Can we? Maybe I could do some. Maybe I'll pay you a hundred dollars a month for uh, you know for for sixty months. That the whole thing, any kind of thing, I just know it's not. So I uh, found that that is. And again, I don't want to do anything illegal. So I think what I'm doing is legal. If not, I got to find some other way to make sure that the person come. But I found that that has been my best way, and 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 it's been a better indicator for me than running a credit report. A better indicator for me than running, calling previous lands and all the things. Those things don't. I, I can't. I've never got a good beat on someone from everything that shows up in an application. It's really more like, hey, can it's three months to move in? Is that okay? And if they're like, no problem, um, then it's almost never been a problem. So you basically just so I can summarize this for the audience. So you put an ad on Craigslist. You screen them by basically asking for a lot of capital up front to see if they're savers and if they're not going to object to that. And if, generally speaking, from your experience, if they are okay with that, they're usually going to work out, especially from a financial standpoint, because they have money. Right. Not every time, but almost every time. Yeah. Almost every oh, time. That's smart. That's smart. Because the reality is most renters are living paycheck to paycheck. Oh yeah, totally. And that is just the way it is. So do we want, do we want to get into programs like section eight and all that stuff? We covered that on a, on a different podcast. We covered that, but I, let's just give the listeners a little bit. Uh, let's, let's cover that quickly though, because that is, Another thing that I've found so, that makes when a bought, lot of sense. So when I bought my first rental in 2004. Um, 2000, how old were you when you bought that rental, man? You were a young kid. I'm born in 1971. I'm 51 now. So I was like 33. You're um, still pretty young though. You know, that's, that's, most people don't ever buy rentals. So I bought this rental and someone told me Section 8 is the greatest. You should do Section 8. And um, I did Section 8 and I learned over the years about Section 8. So Section 8 is good. Because you're going to get a big chunk of your rent every month. Today, they even wire it to you. They don't even send you a check. They wire it into your account. So that's wonderful. But Section 8 tenants in general are a, a more likely to be evicted than non-Section 8 tenants. So my, I know we discussed this before, and if you are not getting market rent for it through Section 8, I don't think it's worth it if it's significantly less. But there are other programs. So I'm, I'm actually signing a lease to, on Friday, let's say Wednesday in two days, for a program tenant. Who's paying me twenty one hundred dollars for a, for a for basically a one bedroom, and that's market rent. I mean, it's, I was getting family home. What is it a single family home or is it no, a it's in a building? It's in a building I have with people left. So I was getting like nineteen seventy five, and I'm getting twenty one hundred. So it's through a program. You know, that's 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 great market rent. So at that point, I'm willing to deal with let's say a lower, uh, possibly a lower class tenant. Now I've had great Section Eight tenants and great program tenants. I've had bad ones too. Overall, I think they're worse because they're not putting as much money into it, but. Um, if you're going to get market rent from it, I think it's definitely worth it. The, the surety of the of getting the money um, and the amount of money overcomes the fact that their tenants are probably going to give you more, more, more pains. Tenants are going to be more difficult. And they're not going to treat the building as well. 
Correct. Correct. But again, yeah, if, you, again if you get market rank for it or better, then then it's it's worth it's worth that. I my yeah. that's my opinion. Other people feel differently. You know, there are people who had a lot of Section Eight during COVID and they were, you know, on a beach or you know, uh, sipping pina coladas because they were getting their their money every month. Yeah. Other people weren't. Um, so I see the pros and cons. I just feel like it. And there are areas, there are plenty of areas in the country where Section Eight gives you market rent. Like if market rent is right in our area, it just hasn't it hasn't caught up with what market rent is. So. Um, it's something you gotta, you gotta look into, but, but, uh, you know, I, so I do, I do take program tenants as long as I can get, get the rent that I want. What are your guidelines with the communication with the tenant after they sign a lease with you? Like, how do you train your tenants to communicate? Cause you manage your properties. So how do you communicate? How do you, cause basically the biggest thing with, with, if you're going to do rentals, me and Michael have them. The last thing you want to do is just get fucking calls when like it's a minuscule thing. Listen, if the septic explodes and there's shit on their face, of course, I'm going to fix that. But like if they're calling about something that's minuscule that I have no control over, like a squirrel in the backyard, ask me how I know. I mean, come on now, like you can get a BB gun if you want. So how do you train your tenants to not basically piss you off? So if they ask you something ridiculous, I usually tell them, you know, I'm not going to be able to handle this for a while. You know, if they call me, tell me there's a squirrel in the back, I'm going to, so I, I, funny, I had, I had a situation where I had a squirrel a squirrel or a raccoon but it was in it was crawling out, like right above their bedroom and it was like it was like <laughs> i had the same thing bro same. Had to have a, i had to have an exterminator come and take same, it same here the calling, calling for something absurd you know you, you train them by not responding as quickly right so if they call me and they say they have no heat you know i'm going to get a 24-hour plumber there to fix oh, it oh yeah <laughs> You know, I have a tenant right now who told me that uh, her outlets don't work on her kitchen. Now, I know it's just, she didn't just reset the GFI outlets, just push a button. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to push the button for her. But I'm not running there to push the button because she it's not the first time it happened. So um, you train them by, by, being less, by being less responsive for the ridiculous things. And, and, but you need to be responsive for the important things. I had the heat go out on, a build, on that building last week, and I was in the middle of eating a burrito. And I said, fuck, I'm calling the plumber. Because that, listen, that's like where, like, I'm not an angel by any means, but I'm certainly not a devil. You're not an asshole. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, but listen, I, I wouldn't say that I'm the nicest guy in the world when it comes to this, but if they're like, Hey, I have no heat. I don't care if you don't like your tenants or not. You can't let someone not have heat in the winter. Right. That's, that's a, and you'll get sued. Right. So it's like, don't even like try it. But you're like, when, when someone's like, like, here's an example, I had a whole fiasco with a septic system at one of the, that same property, which is why I'm selling it. And they, they, you know, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. The first time it was like, okay, like this definitely, and I happened to be back in town. So I'm like, oh, this, this smells, let me get the, the, the uh, company there to get the smell out. Okay. The smells out. Great. So I come back there. Yeah. They call again. Hey, it smells again. Okay. It still smells. Let's get the septic guy there. You know? And then it's like, you, you, it, I think as a new landlord, you, you're going to have to get burned a couple of times to, to learn the hard way. I don't think anyone's going to be able to, avoid that but once you get like some calluses on your on your fingers i actually literally have them from doing pull-ups but uh you know you, you start to realize like what what's worth an urgent response and what you can be like listen okay you're being a little crazy here like clean the gutters out yeah i'll do that next week and i'll have someone go there but you know if the building if it was i always tell tenants if it's that bad you're not going to call me let's be honest think about it think about it if it's if it's that bad they're not calling me I don't know. If the heat's out, they're going to call the landlord. That's no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. That's something. But if it's like, if the building, God forbid, was on fire, right. I'm not getting a call. You know, I'm, you know, so, so I always tell them like, listen, obviously I'm going to fix it, but you know, it, it, you gotta, you gotta kind of walk off. Cause once they know that you're going to respond quick, this is what happened to me on an old tenant. Actually, I still have them living there. 
once they figured out that I was a rookie and I was responding quickly, they started just busting my balls. And now we, 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 we settled with them and they're going to be getting out soon. But um, the, another mistake, and this is a huge one that I, I will not make again, is that I told my, I remember the first rental property I bought, I knocked on their door right after the closing with the deed in my hand. And I was 26. No, I was 25. I was a young, young kid in comparison to how old these people were. I knock on their door. I show them the deed. I'm like, surprise, I own your house. These people are in their 70s. They've been living there for 20 years paying rent. I didn't know what I was doing. And they're like, oh my God, like, am I getting out? Like I scared the shit out of them. And I was not, I had no idea what I'm doing. So once they found out, I, and I got this thing, I basically got the house for free. It was like a, it was like a gift. I mean, I stole this property, stolen bill, like highway robbery. And they saw how much I paid for it. And I thought I was so cool. And they, they found out that I was the owner, right? And I'm this young kid. They're in their 70s. They've been paying rent for 20 years. I got this house with six figures of equity, pulling up in like a Audi. And, uh, you know, they start busting my balls, right? So now what I do is I never tell the tenant that I'm the owner. I always tell the tenant that I'm the property manager because it's actually true, right? And the owner is some company, which is also true, because I want to try to separate at least a little bit of like, a gap between like, if they make a crazy request, instead of me being like, yeah, or no, I'm like, let me talk to the owner. They're going to have to mull it over and then I'll get back to you. And I found that to take, to, to, I'm going to hire a property manager once I get these bad tenants out. But that kind of adds a little bit of a buffer because when, when they know you're the, they're dealing with a direct source, it just makes it more of an emotional relationship, which I try to avoid. Uh, it's, just never gets fun. it's a good move. I don't do that, but it's a good move. I just close. Oh, they know you're the big papa. I closed on something like a week ago. I called these two tenants. They were both there for 20 years. And I'm oh. like, I got, I got bad news. I bought the property and my intention is to fix the property up. So like, oh, when do I have to leave? I said, I'll give you a couple months. I said, but you, but you got to start looking for someplace to go. And they're and I cool. I should have. Are they cool? Who knows? I don't know. You want to hear a funny story about that real quick? So this was a rental. I sold, I actually sold it because it was a, it was a chaotic problem, but I buy this property sight unseen i'm like the guy like the, the dude was like you cannot see that i'm like fine whatever the no it was in rockland county i'm like whatever it's a condo like who gives a shit like as long as the, ironically there was a fire in that complex like a, two days after i closed and i'm like oh thank god so everyone was okay so i i buy the property and i, I get the tenants information i text them i say hey this is greg i'm the property manager i work for this company um uh we haven't you know i have a question for you when's a good time to speak i never like tried to poke them and they don't respond. So then I send them another text and another text. So three texts later, they don't respond. So then I'm like, my buddy was like, Hey, you should tell them that because you haven't heard from them, you're assuming they're already out and you're going to start construction. So that's good. I text them that I say, Hey, I haven't heard from you. So I'm assuming at this point, you're already out of the property. My crew's coming on Monday. We're going to start gutting the place down to the studs. And literally I, I get a call from the attorney, not even 10 minutes later. He goes, what the are you doing? And I said, Oh, Good morning to you, sir. And <laughs> these, these, these assholes haven't paid rent since COVID. They both make money. They, they do well. They're fucking this old landlord over, literally just tearing this guy to shreds on this estate because it was a estate sale. And they, they, they hired an, uh, an attorney to like basically help them squat. And we started just fighting and fighting and fighting. And this guy was being nasty. And then the old owner was still trying to sue them for a judgment. And I'm like in the middle on title here. And I'm just like, Ooh. Really? so I'm thinking this is going to be like, I'm going to sell this thing probably in like the summer and that's okay. Long story short, this freaking uh, 
random attorney calls me out of the blue, like literally calls me out of the blue. And he says, Hey, I know that you own this 164 Richard property. I have a, a, a buyer who's all cash. He cannot find anything available in here. He wants to make you an offer. And I'm like, this sounds like a scam. I'm like, how do I not know you're going to be true? Yeah. I said, where's the subpoena for my financial records or something like that? You know? And he's like, no, seriously. And I said, well, what, what price does he want? He's like, well, give us a price. I'm like, all right, 200 grand. And like, by the way, that's like crazy. And he's like, ah, I don't know. They're like 170. I'm like, can't do 170. By the way, I bought it for 115. I go, I don't know, 180 and we just get it done. I'm not going to negotiate. And they're like, fine, 180. This guy buys the property in cash. Yo, he closed in two and a half weeks in New York, which is unheard of. Did like a digital title company. It was like almost a scam. Funds, closes, no bullshit, sold the thing, made a huge profit. And I'm like, no, I had to pay a realtor two and a half percent or 2%, but that was nothing. But like, can you believe that? Isn't that nuts? So once, usually when something's too good to be true, it is, but once in a while, once, once in a while, a buyer comes out of nowhere and you're like, I don't think this is going to happen. And it happens. And you're like, wow, okay, great. I'll take but, it. Unfortunately, unfortunately for every buyer that comes through where it's too good to be true, there's, there's like five that are going to fuck you. Who bullshit, who bullshit you where you think you're going to get good money. And they say, oh, sorry, I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So here's the point of that story. Sometimes even if a property is going to make sense to rent out, it's usually going to make more sense to sell it. Unless it meets, you know, you can get it at a cheap price. You're going to understand how to manage a property. You understand that, 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 that if you get it at the right price, most of the work has already been done and you can get a good tenant. You know, listen, you're going to probably have to do this in cheaper areas. If you're listening to this in Long Island or in the Hudson Valley, you're going to have to look in, you know, Newburgh and Middletown and Port Jervis and, you know, Kingston and, and you know, up in Monticello area. And that, that's where you're going to find these properties. You're not going to be finding these in Monroe or Chester or in, you know, Michael's area. You're, you're not going to. Or Westchester. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe in like Peekskill or, or like I'm getting a duplex in Yonkers under contract at a banging price, but I just want to wholesale it because it's a big deal. But uh, yeah, you gotta, I mean, listen, even in like Westchester, like in, in any, like the cities, like, you know, you have cities by you, there's cities, about, like the cities I've found too with rentals, there's a lot more red tape in the cities because the cities are regulating even more than the towns. So if you're, if you're buying rentals in cities in your county, especially specific, it can be a little bit more complicated. Also where they want, they want a rental, they want an inspection every two years. It's, it's more complicated. Yeah. So you really just got to know what you're getting into. Honestly, the, the point is this is you got to, you got to get the deal first. You got to know what you're getting into. You got to understand how to realistically manage tenants. And uh, if you do that and you, you flip properties and you make good active income, it, it makes sense to add some Burr properties if you can get the right deal. Uh, but Michael's like Michael said in the beginning, if you, if you're going to leave 50 to hundred K in a property and it's going to make $300 a month, I personally would rather put that in like a mutual fund because that shit is liquid as fuck. And I can pull that out right away. Right. A property is not liquid. I've learned this the hard way. Real estate is illiquid. <laughs> you cannot sell it right away. Correct. And it keeps costing you money. So real estate is, in my opinion, a better investment long term. But if you get into a bad real estate deal, you're not only are you going to have to pay money, but you can't sell. And it can it can just it's gonna and it's going to aggravate you all a lot. It's very aggravating. You, yeah. You buy a mutual fund, then it goes down a little. You're like, okay, I'll wait and it'll go up. But when it when it when it when a rental property goes bad on you and the tenants are driving you bananas and the values <laughs> because they're treating you like crap, it's not a fun place to be. Not a good time. It's not a good time. So hopefully people learned a lot about how to burr and do it in New York. And if they have questions, they can reach out to us. And uh, if they get value from these shows, 
if you're listening right now and this is, you know, this is like the 20 something episode we put out, please, this is how we grow the show. It's very simple. We have our listeners share the show and we have our listeners put social proof online, which is a screenshot of the podcast saying, hey, this was a great show. So if you got value today, if you can please share this with three or four of your friends, family, colleagues, and also um, just put it out on social media. That's how we get this thing to, to go out into the entire state and we can help more people by delivering this message. So if you get value today, if you could do that, that'd mean a lot to us. And we'll talk to everybody on the next interview. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.